You're listening to Reality San Francisco's weekly podcast. For more audio content or information, please visit us at realitysf.com. Thank you, friends. It's so good to be uh, here with you. I'm just so honored. We, we love you from, from Los Angeles um, to you. We, we love you. We pray for you and think about you often. And I'm just, I'm just blessed to be here. I know I'm amongst friends. And that's actually what I want to talk uh, with you about this morning is uh, the topic of friendship. Uh, I've recently um, done a study on this through the life of David and Jonathan. Uh, you've been studying through the book of Proverbs recently, and I'd like to weave those two together and get us thinking more deeply about what it is that God wants for us in friendship. So if you have a Bible, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 20 in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 20. This this is a topic that is very near and dear uh, to my heart, and, and I hope that it will be uh, to your own as, as we think about it and reflect on it um, here this morning. So 1 Samuel chapter 20, taking a narrative from the life of David, and it will really serve as our platform to, to begin to, to think and reflect on this subject. I'm going to read the first 17 verses and then jump down to the last seven So let me read it, and then we'll pray together once more. 1 Samuel chapter 20, starting off with verses 1 through 17. Then David fled from Naoth at Ramah and went to Jonathan and asked, What have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he is trying to take my life? Never, Jonathan replied. You are not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything, great or small, without confiding in me. Why would he hide this from me? It is not so. But David took an oath and said, Your father knows very well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this, or he will be grieved. Yet surely, as the Lord lives and as you live, there is only a step between me and death. Jonathan said to David, Whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. So David said, look, tomorrow is the new moon festival, and I am supposed to dine with the king, but let me go and hide in the field until the evening of the day after tomorrow. If your father misses me at all, tell him, David earnestly asked my permission to hurry to Bethlehem, his hometown, because an annual sacrifice is being made there for his whole clan. If he says, very well, then your servant is safe. But if he loses his temper, you can be sure that he is determined to harm me. As for you, show kindness to your servant, for you have brought him into a covenant with you before the Lord. If I am guilty, then kill me yourself. Why hand me over to your father? Never, Jonathan said. If I had the least inkling that my father was determined to harm you, wouldn't I tell you? David asked, who will tell me if your father answers you harshly? Come, Jonathan said, let's go out into the field. And so they went together. Then Jonathan said to David, by the Lord God of Israel, I will surely sound out my father by this time, the day after tomorrow. If he is favorably disposed toward you, will I not send you word and let you know? But if my father is inclined to harm you, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if I do not let you know and send you away safely. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. 
but show me unfailing kindness like that of the Lord as long as I live so that I may not be killed and do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, may the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of his love for him because he loved him as he loved himself. And skip down to verse 35. And in the morning, Jonathan went out to the field for his meeting with David. He had a small boy run with him, and he said to the boy, run and find the arrows that I shoot. And as the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. And when the boy came to the place where Jonathan's arrow had fallen, Jonathan called out after him, isn't the arrow beyond you? Then he shouted, hurry, go quickly, do not stop. The boy picked up the arrow and returned to his master. The boy knew nothing of of this, only Jonathan and David knew. Then Jonathan gave his weapons to the boy and said, go, carry them back down. After the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the most. Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left and Jonathan went back to the town. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy word and thank you for your Holy Spirit who desires to speak your word to our hearts even this morning. And today, would you teach us about friendship? Pray today for healing of broken friendships. I pray for the strengthening of existing friendships. And I also pray for the discovery of new friendships. Father, would you teach us where we go wrong when it comes to this and how desperately we need to learn from you and how even this this theme, this grand subject of friendship actually draws us closer and closer to yourself. So Holy Spirit, would you be our teacher this morning? We ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Mother Teresa, who spent a lifetime working in Calcutta, India, amongst the, the poor and destitute, said that the worst disease was not leprosy and was not AIDS. It was loneliness. We were made for deep meaningful relationships. We suffer without them. And yet very few of us actually experience them. There seems to be a famine of friendships. I mean, life's journey is long and it's full of joys and it's full of difficulties and we need to share them with one another. And I firmly believe that for you not only to survive But to thrive in your city, or anywhere for that matter, you need friends. Not just networks, not just associates, not just fans, employees, neighbors, acquaintances, but friends. Some of the greatest transformation that has taken place in my own life has been through the way that God has used friendship. J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, C.S. Lewis, and others 
belonged to a now legendary group of writers called the Inklings. And they met frequently in an Oxford pub for pints, pipes, and prose. <laughs> they were not only teachers and authors, they were friends. In fact, they became known as apologists for friendship. They argued that friendship had been devalued and underappreciated in modern times. Listen to what C.S. Lewis uh, writes about it. He says, quote, to the ancients, friendship seemed the happiest and most fully human of all the loves, the crown of life and the school of virtue. The modern world, in comparison, ignores it. It is something quite marginal, not a main course in life's banquet, but a diversion, something that fills up the chinks in one's time. So how, how have we come to this place? Why is it that friendships have been so underappreciated? One reason is there is a deep belief that deep and meaningful relationships must be romantic. In fact, with this story of David and Jonathan that is famous that we've now just read, though both of them had wives and eventually would have children, some have read between the lines a romantic relationship. But this is simply not found in the language or in the events of this text. What we see in this story is actually a moving yet not uncommon expression of affection between close friends and family within that culture and many other cultures in the world today. But see, with our culture, there is this incredible pressure to sexualize everything. So much so that it's actually hard for us to believe that a relationship could be intimate and meaningful without sex. You're like, oh, yeah, this is great. This could be something. Wait, where's the sex? Like, this can't possibly go further without sex. So when we read in the Bible that sexual intimacy is reserved for marriage, we just assume that all other relationships just can't be that deep and if one is single, you just have to settle for half-meaningful relationships. But this is simply not true. The Bible tells us otherwise, which leads to the second reason I think that friendship has been underappreciated. It's rarely experienced. Many of our relationships, if we're honest, are spread so far that they have become very thin. There's little trust little intimacy, little commitment. I mean, think about all the, the, the people that you would deem in your sphere of influence, that you would deem friends. Is there trust? Is there a deep trust? Is there a sense of intimacy? Is there a sense of commitment within them? How are we to understand friendship? Now, this is um, fascinating to me, but thinkers both modern and ancient have observed three categories of friendship. And the first is friendships built on usefulness. Many of the relationships that we have are actually built on usefulness. We have an affection towards the benefit that they bring. Like, oh, will, will they do something for me? Will they further my career? Will they get me into the crowd that I want to connect with? 
Some of our relationships are simply built on whether or not they are useful. Especially in, in cities like ours, everyone kind of has an angle and they're looking to, to network. And yet those often pass off as friendships and yet they're really just built on usefulness. Another category that's been observed are friendships built on amusement. You're just looking for a good time. Like, you make me laugh, you're hilarious, and, and those things are, are good, but is that all the relationship is made of? Like, you have a great sense of humor, and is that it? But what all these thinkers have pointed out is that the greatest quality and the greatest need is for friendships that are built on virtue. Not just usefulness, not just amusement, but virtue. See, virtue, especially ancient, uh, speaking in ancient terms, virtue was this shared vision of life, as you've talked about a lot through Proverbs, the good life. What is a fulfilling human life? And so a, a friendship built on virtue was a matter of helping each other get here. Here's the vision of the good life. I'm going to help you go in that direction. The greater the vision, the stronger the friendship. And the Bible tells us that there is no greater pursuit in life than the God who gave life. Now, every one of you in this room, you will experience a, a varying degree of friendships. Even for those of you who are, are not Christians, you don't have particular faith in God, you'll have all kinds of varying degrees of friendship throughout life. But the deepest friendship is found in God himself. For according to Scripture, friendship finds its origin in the very character of God, for the Bible tells us that, that God is Father, Son, and Spirit. That there is this eternal relationship that has always existed. No wonder the Bible is full of remarkable friendships. For those of you that have read the Old Testament in particular, you're probably familiar with them. One of my favorites is the story of Naomi and Ruth. Two women that were the most unlikely of friends and yet formed this incredible bond and another, of course, is David and Jonathan. But we can't understand friendships in the Bible unless you realize that they are not casual. They are built on a covenant. A covenant is this binding commitment that serves as the foundation for friendship. Though we've just read a powerful departure story with David and Jonathan, there's another powerful departure story found in the Gospel of John. The Son of God, Jesus, is about to go to the cross to die for mankind's sin and rise again. And his work actually serves as the foundation for our relationship with God. And in that moment when he's there around the table with his disciples, listen to what he says in John 15. He says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. This is astounding. The Son of God invites us into the intimacy of the circle of friendship that exists between him and his Father. Which means that the nearness that Jesus knows is extended to each and every single one of us, to every one of you here today. This is incredible because it makes the church, 
It makes the church an incubator for spiritual friendships. That's what this is. It's an incubator for spiritual friendships. It doesn't mean that you are going to be best friends with everyone in this room. Like, don't show up to a community group this week and look at a room of 30 and be like, we're all going to be best friends forever. What's your number? It's like, oh, this is so awkward. Like, you're not necessarily going to be best friends with every single person in this room. And yet, the very foundation that you share together as the church serves as the, the incubator for the discovery of a world of meaningful friendships. Here's my simple uh, definition Spiritual friendship is a transformational journey grounded in a mutual commitment to follow Jesus Christ. For it is through him that we have the deepest friendship of all. It's a journey that we're going on together. And the story of David and Jonathan is like looking at a shadow. A shadow that ultimately finds its substance in Jesus. And so just for a few moments, I want to weave back and forth. And, and draw out some principles ab- about friendship as we do. And, and I want you to think about a couple things. First of all, I want you to think about whether or not you have this kind of friendship with other people. Many of us would, would call each other friends, but I want you to stop and I want you to be honest this morning. And I want you to think about whether or not you actually have this with other people. Even for those of you who are married, spouses, I want you to think about this in relation to each other. Do you have this? But secondly, I also want you to know how you can build this kind of friendship. Listen, they can't be manufactured. Doesn't matter how great your church is. Like, I don't run eHarmony for my church. Like, I can't just, like, make, you guys are going to be friends. Like, it just doesn't work like that. Friendships are not manufactured. They are discovered. Even in the most unlikely ways. See, the thing about the friendship between this man, David, and Jonathan is that it never should have happened. In fact, they should have been enemies. They should have been adversaries seeking each other's demise. But God knit their hearts together because the friendship that God gives, it actually transcends culture. And so I just want to point out four things about this kind of friendship. First, spiritual friendship is marked by vulnerability. Friends are willing to bear their souls. In the beginning of this story, in the first few verses, uh, notice David's language. He says to his friend Jonathan, I'm a step away from death. Jonathan wasn't convinced of the problem as of yet, but he acknowledged that David's feelings were authentic. David's life had been threatened time and time again because in the story, his envious and paranoid father-in-law, King Saul, who happened to be uh, Jonathan's dad, was threatening to kill David over and over and over again. In fact, on one occasion, David was threatened four times in a day. So he's just living a very dramatic life. And so it's time for David to escape from the public eye. But he shares this freely with Jonathan. And that's what I love about the story. True friends, they're willing to, to share their inner self. See, in friendship, you move from the surface to the depth. In other words, you don't just talk about what happened today, right? Everybody talks about that. What'd you do today? Went to work. What'd you do after that? Went home. Okay. What else did you do? Made dinner. Like, that's not what I'm talking about. It's not just saying, here's what happened today. Friends talk about how they experienced what happened today. 
Well, how was work for you? Well, it was hard. It was difficult. There was all this drama going on with my, my boss or my company. I'm feeling pretty like, anxious about it. Friends talk about how they experience their, their day. See, true friends, they go beyond the mask. They go beyond the veneer because in friendship, you're not spending all that time managing appearances. So much of our time is spent doing that. We've got to have this front. I've got it all together. I'm going throughout my day. Like life is is good. But in friendship, it's a refuge where you can take off the mask and you can speak your mind without fear. And that's one of the things I, I love about friendships is I can just call up a friend and I can just speak openly and honestly about it. So if you have this kind of friendship even now, I want you to continue in it. I want you to go even further with this and begin to speak even more honestly. But if you don't, and if you're thinking in your own heart at this moment, saying, well, I don't really have that, and I'm kind of depressed about it. For some of you, the whole topic of friendship brings a bitter note to your own heart. I want you to take steps toward it. And here's how you can do that. Here's a few questions you can begin to ask other people. You can ask questions like, What are you finding encouraging in life right now? What do you find encouraging about God? Or on the other hand, you can ask something like, what are you finding difficult? What are you finding difficult about your relationship with God? I think you might be surprised at the answers that you will get. See, this kind of vulnerability really requires two things. Listening graciously and speaking honestly. And first things first, we need, in fact, I think this is one of our greatest needs, is to listen graciously. Because if you learn to listen well, you will learn to speak well. A willingness to stop and listen is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. We need good listeners. About 12 years ago, I spent almost every day for a month at UCSF Medical Center. Uh, My father was dying there, and it was a difficult time. I had to be there for my mom and for my brother and for others around. I felt like I kind of had that role in my family at the time where I had to kind of lift them up as my father was getting ready to pass away. And so in that time, I was newly married, and I discovered a, a friendship with my wife that went deeper than anything that we had experienced before. She was just there for me, and she would listen to me just talk. She would watch me cry and I had another friendship, it was fairly new, and during that time when I was in the hospital every day, I would just go and cell phones were like a new thing <laughs> back then. I was like, oh, I, could call, I can call him on this, this mobile phone, and I would just call him and he would just listen to me, and I would talk for like 30 minutes, and he wouldn't really say that much, and yet all I remember is that he was there for me. When I told him that, he replied by saying, well, I didn't really say much, but I'm like, yeah, but you were just there. I mean, how many times can you reflect on the people you've known and you went through a difficult time and you could just look back and say, you were just there. And you know, that was the beginning of a friendship that would be so deep that when he, who was there for me all those years ago, when he lost his eight-year-old daughter to cancer, God taught me a little bit about what it would like to be there for him on those nights when he would have to go to the hospital and He just needed to get out for a little while and he would just come to my backyard in Los Angeles and just cry and just listen to each other. Vulnerability means listening graciously, but it also means speaking honestly. 
you got to speak the truth. As David and Jonathan, they, they speak to the truth to one another. In friendship, you lovingly challenge illusions. You dare even to discomfort each other by telling the truth. It means you're open about your particular areas of weakness. I mean, David was dramatic. Jonathan was naive. Like, they were honest about it. Like, you notice David's like, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. And Jonathan's like, never, never, you know. <laughs> I love their friendship. Jonathan's like, no, my dad's not going to kill you later. He's like, oh, yeah, he's going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> See, in friendship, we need to be honest. Listen to the wisdom of Proverbs. In Proverbs 29, verse 5, Proverbs has so much to say about friendship that some people have actually called the book of Proverbs unapologetic for friendship. Listen to what it says, Proverbs 29, 5. To flatter friends is to lay a trap for their feet. I don't want to do this. I don't want it to be done to me. So we need to learn to, to receive truth with correction. And sometimes that's hard. And for, for some of you, that's when you end friendships. Somebody's like, hey, you kind of need to be corrected on this. Mm, nope, no more friendship. <laughs> when in fact, that's actually a part of friendship. It's speaking the truth. And so it's been said that there's three ways to, to do this when it comes to correction, because sometimes it's hard to hear. I mean, Pastor Dave, you're, one of your pastors is one of my dearest friends. And there are many times throughout our friendship where he's got to speak the truth to me and I've got to speak the truth to him. And it's hard. It's hard to hear it, but I know that he loves me and he knows that, that I love him and we can do that. So here's three things that I've learned about correction. Expect it, examine it, and endure it. <laughs> so expect it. Expect that in a friendship, they're going to speak the truth and speak honestly. But then you've got to examine it. You've got to take that before God and say, okay, is this true? And thirdly, you need to endure it. See, Jesus loved his disciples. And Jesus loves us. Which means he does not ignore what you and I need to hear. Jesus speaks the truth to our hearts. He said in that passage I read a moment ago, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. And I speak the truth to you. We need this. But as we do, remember, speak the truth in love. Romans 12 says to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. So spiritual friendship is, first of all, marked by vulnerability. But secondly, spiritual friendship is marked by loyalty. True friends are committed to the good of the other. In verses 4 through 10, by this time, David, who had married Saul's daughter, he actually had become a part of the royal family. And so in the midst of all this danger, David proposes a plan to figure out what's going on with this man Saul. So he proposes to skip a monthly royal dinner, which he was supposed to be present. Saul will, of course, note his absence. And this will provide an opportunity for naive Jonathan to figure out whether or not Saul's intention was to kill David. Now, David was well aware of what he was asking the king's own son. And the only basis that could justify such a request was Jonathan's commitment to David. That's what they talk about in verses 8 and 9. They talk about this commitment that they have to one another. You know, Nietzsche once said that, cynically, that love is blind and friendship closes its eyes. But the Christian faith actually opens our eyes. 
So when I say loyalty, I'm not talking about some kind of blind loyalty where you just let your friends get away with whatever or no matter what they're doing, you're like, hey, even if you're being an idiot, I'm just going to be loyal to all that you're doing, even if it's stupid. That's not what we're talking about. But this is a loyalty. This is a commitment to the good of the other. If this is something good for my friend, then I'm going to commit to it. And so it actually involves an investment. Have you thought about your friendships as an investment? Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. It's easy to say, like, it's very easy for us to say, like, well, I love you, and like, friends forever. And, you know, I, I realized, um, especially in my teenage years uh, growing up, you know, in the San Francisco Bay Area, how many friendships I had that were just built on meaninglessness, only to discover that when hard times came, they weren't there. Our friendships need to be invested. See, the opposite of a faithful and loyal friend is a fair-weather friend. They're just built on usefulness, and they're really just committed to the good of themselves, but spiritual friendship is marked by loyalty. And it's not just loyalty in word. Like, we throw the word love out all the time, like, love you, bro, I love you, oh my gosh, love you, just love you forever. But then the minute something becomes hard, you're like, uh, I'm out. Like, hey, where were you? I don't know, I was busy. It's been said that troubles allow you to see who your friends really are. And I think that's true. This often comes out most clearly in times of adversity. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. We will all face times of trouble. Have we been keeping up our friendships in times of blessings so that they're actually prepared for crisis? Are we actually committed to the good of the other person? Have you sat down and thought, can I be a friend to this person? Can I be committed to this person? Jesus Christ was so committed to our good that he went all the way to the cross. So when you and I think about friendships, we must start out with regular commitments. Start by making investments and they begin to grow. You might say this morning, well, I don't have that yet. But yes, you could start now. You could start by more casual event, uh, investments. M maybe you haven't known each other for that long, but maybe this week even you can start saying, hey, let's meet regularly. Let's just meet once a week. Let's get coffee. Let's just pray for one another and just begin to discover the bond that God creates between the two of you. Just start out with just some kind of more broad commitment and you will begin to find that deeper commitments grow. Hugh Black, who actually wrote a book on friendship, he says this, quote, through little occasions of helpfulness, we are training for the great trial, should it ever come, when the fabric of friendship will be tested to the very foundation. Which raises the question, what is that foundation? Because for true vulnerability and for true, true honesty to come, we need a foundation. And so here, thirdly, we find that spiritual friendship is marked by God-dependency. Friends are to be rooted and grounded in faith. In verses 11 through 17, we, we see this great speech that, that Jonathan gives to David. Part of God's plan for David's life was an incredible friendship. 
and this friendship helped them pay attention to God. So in these, these verses, Jonathan takes David away from earshot so that nobody else could hear. And you've got to remember that Jonathan's friendship with David at this time would be considered treason because Saul in ancient Israel was on the throne. He was rejected by God. God told David that he would be the next king. So it would have been seen as just high treason for Jonathan to be friends with David. But in this speech that Jonathan makes to David. It's so dramatic. I love it. Like, we will be friends. And there's this whole speech. It's like a Bill Pullman moment in Independence Day. It's just this grand speech. And in it, the name of God is mentioned nine times. Jonathan knows that God is with David, that David will be Israel's future king. And he's about to find out that his father Saul is indeed consumed with anger. And so Jonathan's speech is actually dripping with the prophetic. David is God's selected king. And by making a covenant with the house of David, Jonathan was speaking and acting with a remarkably clear vision of the future. And he's asking David that his relatives would not be cut off. So it's this that binds the two together at the deepest level. It's knowing that God is the glue of their friendship. It means that this friendship is not a random act of life, but it's connected to the grand goal of life, which is knowing and loving God and showing this love that they have towards one another. That's why he mentions it time and time again, show me the steadfast kindness of God. Show me the love and commitment that actually comes from God. Aristotle once said that friendship is a Single soul dwelling in two bodies. Well, in the Bible, it says that the deepest friendship is always three. The Lord is between you and me. The Lord is between us. David, his distress, it made it hard for him to see ahead. He was, he was freaking out, as many of us often do in times of anxiety and looking into the unknown. But David, as a friend, whose friendship is centered on God, is able to bring encouragement. Jonathan is able to give David perspective that David didn't see. This moment wasn't the last time that they would see each other. There would be another time when things got really difficult. And Jonathan would seek out David to encourage him. And it actually says a little bit later in 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 16, it says this. And it's such a simple description of this kind of friendship. Jonathan went to David and encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. Spiritual friendship is built on more than just circumstance or preference. For the follower of Jesus, it is covenant, not circumstance, that actually defines the friendship. When Jesus Christ declared his disciples as friends, he spoke of this new covenant that Jesus would actually serve as the foundation for our friendships and set the direction for them. That means that true friends will settle for nothing less than you becoming your future glory self. 
Like you look at your friend and, and you, you see the distress that they're going through and you're saying to them, I want you to become your future glory self. I, I want to be a friend. I want to come alongside and I want to help you set your direction towards God. I want to help you become the man or woman that God wants you to be. And I will settle for nothing less. That is the kind of vision that God wants us to have for our friendships. And because of that, you can be an incredible source of encouragement to each other, regardless how bad circumstances get. Even when it seems as though your life is in danger and people are out to get you, you can come alongside one another and say, I'm going to help you become your future glory self. Because Christ has this binding effect on relationships. And it's not just abstract. It's demonstrated in action. And the fourth and final mark is that spiritual friendship is marked by humility. Friends are willing to be second. Friends are willing to sacrifice. This scene... I believe, is one of the most memorable departures in the Old Testament. And the rest of the chapter, that latter portion that we read a few moments ago, is about how Jonathan conveyed the news to David of Saul's violence. So this message was sent according to plan. They have this whole, like, code message using arrows. And Jonathan signaled that the Lord had sent David away, meaning that it was no longer safe for David to be here. Yes, Saul was out to get him. And so they knew this would probably be one of the last times they would see each other. And so there's this moving scene where they just begin to, to weep. I don't know if you've ever had a, a friendship like that where you've literally just wept with each other because of all that you have experienced. But what I want you to note about this intimate scene is that there's more going on than just affection. Jonathan's commitment actually had a political dimension. We read that they not only wept together, but, but they actually kissed one another. A kiss was not only an expression of friendship, as it's seen throughout the Bible, but a kiss was also a sign of veneration. The prophet Samuel kissed Saul when he was first anointed king. The kiss is an expression of humility and acknowledgement. It was not only a sign of affection, but also a sign of Jonathan's glad acceptance of David as Israel's future king. See, keep in mind, Jonathan was the heir apparent. Jonathan was next in line to become king. And yet Jonathan is saying, no, David, I recognize that, that you are going to be king. And I'm acknowledging this now. There is going to be no hostility between them. Think about it. The crown prince, Jonathan, is willing to lower himself. And that's the significance of the story. He lays aside his robe and, and, and they express this, this veneration and this, this love and this affection and this humility toward each other. Jonathan, because of his commitment to David, was willing to be second. He was willing to sacrifice. He humbled himself. And this is but a shadow of the greater story of Christ, who we know is the greatest crown prince of all, who entered into a covenant not just to be our, our savior, but our friend. 
And we're told in the Bible that he humbled himself. Jesus laid aside his robe and his privileges to bear the curse for our evil, though he had none, that we might be with him forever. And so it says in John 15, many of you know it well, greater love has no one than this, than that someone laid down his life for his friends. The Apostle Paul, reflecting on this much later when he's writing to the Roman church in Romans 5, says, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Friends, there is no other God like this who lowered himself for us. So I, I charge you with this. When it comes to your friends, when it comes to the people in this church, are you willing to take the lower place? Can you say that your friendships are marked by humility? Are you serving your friends in humility? That's why Paul in Philippians 2 said, humble yourselves. As this mind was in Jesus Christ, may it be in you that he humbled himself. All of these are experienced in different degrees, and they may take time. I think it was, uh, I don't know, Socrates, Aristotle, somebody really smart from a long time ago, who once said, the desire for friendship comes quickly. Friendship doesn't. Like, we all want friendship. Like, oh, that sounds amazing. But it actually takes a lot of time. And some of you might be frustrated. Some of you might be bitter. Well, I don't have that, or I used to have that, or I like, oh, this will, this will never happen. But listen, you might even look around, even in this church, and put blame, like, oh, I just, you know, all the conversations are superficial, and, you know, the church doesn't do enough for this, or whatever it might be. Listen, instead of complaining that no one in this community invites you for meals, or that people are unfriendly, or that the conversation is superficial, you take the initiative. You invite people over for meals. You reach out to one another in, in a way that is loving and friendly. You take the conversations beyond the superficial to the meaningful. See, in Christ Jesus, we have this, this friend who is with us, and he is for us, and he is a friend to us. This is the forever friendship upon which all other friendships are built. And when you enter into a friendship with others built on Christ, there are always three. And though your friendships will go up and down and they will go through good times and they will go through bad times, Christ is the constant because he alone fulfills the hope of friendship, which is a journey home, right? That's what we're all looking for in friendship. It's this journey it means that our friendships, we're on a journey together like, like Tolkien and Lewis would, would talk so much about. We're on this journey home and we're helping each other get there. We're, we're headed to glory, which means that our friendships can be a place of refuge because we're heading home together. It's a safe place where we can talk about these things and we can bear our souls and be vulnerable. But Christ also deals with what destroys our friendships which is self-centeredness. He forgives our failings and he meets our longings. So our friendships are not only a place of refuge, they are a place of reconciliation. And it may be this morning that some of you need to reconcile with each other. Maybe you've been wronged or you've wronged your friends. 
But today, like David and Jonathan, you can say, the Lord be between you and me. Can you say that about your marriage? Can you say that about your friendships? Can you say that about your community? The Lord be between me and you. And when he is, he brings healing. And when he is, he brings reconciliation. And when he is, he brings refuge. My prayer for you is that the Lord would be between you and your friends and that you would experience one of the most miraculous and wonderful forms of encouragement that God has given to us in this world, that of friendship that is truly built on Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, I ask now in this moment that you, by your Holy Spirit, would enable us to be honest about the state of our friendships, whether or not we have them, or what needs to be done within them. God, I pray that today you would just continue to teach us, teach our hearts, teach our souls. Father, I pray that you would show us that if there is a, a breach in our relationships with others, if there is distrust, if there are wounds, Lord, those always speak to deeper issues, deeper issues in our own hearts that perhaps we have not brought to you, our truest friend. I pray that now that even as we think about the sacrament that you have given us, the Lord's Supper, that you would draw us to yourself and that you would draw us to each other. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.